The Stolen Maniple Podcast is a production of St. Augustine of Canterbury Church, a Roman Catholic community of the personal ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter, serving San Diego County, California. This episode features Father Samuel Keyes. After giving his disciples the Our Father, or at least the Lucan version of the Our Father, as we say, the, the one that we use at Mass is more the uh, version we get from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, but in any case, it's the prototype of all Christian prayer. After this, Jesus asks a series of rather startling questions, startling because of their razor-sharp commentary on human behavior. What father among you, he asks, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? It seems like a rhetorical question. No one, obviously. Of course, I don't know how often children ask for fish. Uh, mine would probably prefer the snake and the scorpion, if I'm being honest. Uh, but if we can get beyond the particular objects, the question becomes a little bit more revealing. What father among you, if his son asks for something good, will instead give him something evil? And the more we generalize that question, the more the answer becomes, well, all of us. All human fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, this kind of thing happens all the time. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes accidentally, but the fact is there are very few limits on our capacity for evil, even towards those that we love the most. And this is exactly the point. We have some sense of what it would mean to always give good, good gifts to our children, but we consistently fall short of that vision. It is therefore hard for us to even understand a father who not only has perfect knowledge of the good because he is good and the source of all goodness, but who has also forever determined to be good towards us. The father, in other words, always gives us what we really need and what we really desire, even when we are ignorant of those needs and desires ourselves. And what we really need, what we really desire, is God himself. And thus in Jesus, God has given us, as St. Paul writes in Colossians, the fullness of deity. And it is through him that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Having received this gift and being in the process of receiving it more fully, we can pray as the Lord taught us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, is the central prayer of the Christian life because it exactly captures the radical claims of the Christian gospel. In Jesus, we have already received the good gift of the Father. The kingdom of God has already come to earth. And in Jesus, God has already shown the triumph of his will over the evil powers, the evil gifts of the world. He has, in Paul's words, disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them. He has obliterated the claims against us 
This is one of the few times when I actually like the New American Bible translation. What we heard from the RSV was uh, canceled. The, the NAB says obliterated the claims against us, nailing them to the cross. As one scholar puts it, Jesus' first followers didn't think for a moment that the kingdom meant simply some new religious advice, an improved spirituality, a better code of morals, or a freshly crafted theology. They held to a stronger, more dangerous claim. They believed that in the unique life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the whole cosmos had turned the corner from darkness to life. To, to light, excuse me. The kingdom was indeed here, though it differed radically from what they had imagined. But the early Christians, along with us, still had to wrestle with the obvious question. If the kingdom is already here, why is there still death and hunger and evil and oppression? Or, or we could push the question back several thousand years to the time of Abraham, what we heard in Genesis. How, in a world where God has begun to reveal himself, how can there exist towns like Sodom and Gomorrah where, where can be found not even 10 righteous men? To answer this question definitively would be to unravel the whole mystery of time and creation but in a way, the most basic answer that the church has had and has today is to persist like Abraham, like the annoying neighbor in Luke, in praying the Lord's Prayer and living the Lord's Prayer to proclaim that the structure and reality of the world has been changed by the incarnation of the Son of God, that the wall between heaven and earth has been torn down but at the same time, to acknowledge that the final union of all things in Christ is still to come, that the medicine of the divine physician has to fully unfold and do its work in time. To really pray the Lord's Prayer then means avoiding two great temptations. One of them is spiritual, one is material. The first temptation is to say, well, the world has not actually changed for the better, so the gospel is really just a spiritual message that has nothing to do with the body or the material problems of sin. This is the escapist Gnostic tendency, the spiritualization of the gospel, which has been present really in every age, all the way back to the beginning. The second temptation is to say, well, there, there are an awful lot of things about this life in the Bible, which is true, so it must be that the gospel is really just an ethical message, that the whole point is not to worship God or to speak the truth, but to just, you know, make the world a better place. Neither of these are the gospel, because the gospel of the New Testament is that Jesus is Lord, and if he is Lord, he is not just Lord of the soul, or the Lord of social ethics, but the Lord of all creation, yesterday, today, and forever. The hard part for us is to live in Christ's Lordship today. The hardest thing in the world is to be where we are. Uh, a while back, I think it's really some years ago, I remember reading an interview uh, about the state of darkness in the world. Not, not spiritual darkness, mind you, but just plain old darkness, uh, like the darkness that enables you to really see the night sky. 
that is in a world full of artificial light, where do we ever get real dark? It's a complicated question because it's, it's not just about whether we can still see the night sky, but about how the constant light exposure affects our health. You know, we've all seen the proliferation of blue light blocking glasses and all that. Um, it's a thing, right? And, and there's, there's some, sometimes maybe it's just a marketing fad, but, but there's, a, there's a reality to it as well. Add to this the way that the modern city has built up the questionable assumption that light just straightforwardly equals safety. After all, Light can sometimes reduce our ability to see. The human eyes are pretty amazing organs and they have an incredible ability to adjust to darkness. A single floodlight though, destroys their ability to adjust. It illuminates, but it also creates deeper shadows, deeper gaps in our vision. I wonder if our tendencies to spiritualism or to materialism are in a way shining bright lights on the world that make it harder for our eyes to adjust. Sure, they make part of the Christian life easier or clearer, but in the end, they make it harder to see the whole. Perhaps praying the Lord's Prayer in light of Jesus' resurrection is like allowing our eyes to adjust to a new but dim light. The, the dawn is at hand, but the world remains in twilight. The key is not to pollute things with the glaring light of an artificial gospel, but to make the dis difficult decision to live in the world as it still is, still dark but on the cusp of the eternal day. Praying thy kingdom come, looking up to our Father in heaven, we can then open our eyes and to see where we are and live the gospel where we are. We can look at the world as, as Tom Wright says, in binocular vision, seeing it with the love of the creator for a spectacularly beautiful creation and seeing it with the deep grief of the creator for the battered and battle-scarred state in which the world now finds itself. Bring these two images into focus, and we find, at the center of things, Jesus Christ. That is why, in the Mass, we say the Lord's Prayer immediately before Holy Communion. And that's why receiving the Eucharist is always an act of yesterday, today, and forever. It's a memorial of the past, a promise of the future, and the presence here and now of the Lord of all creation in whom the fullness of deity bodily dwells. And we keep doing this day after day, week after week, because in calling us to this nagging persistence, God allows us to grow more fully into the sort of fathers and mothers and children who can not only receive the good gifts of heaven, gifts that, as our collect says, exceed all that we can desire, but we can in turn share those gifts in charity and hope and in faith that our Father will provide for all that we need. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stolen Maniple podcast. 
For more information on our church and upcoming events, please visit Augustine of Canterbury.org. And don't forget to subscribe to hear future episodes.